Welcome to Audio Shelf. A place where we take you on a fantastic journey through our audiobook adventures. I'm Brad. And I'm Brittany. And we are the voices in your head. Today, we are so excited because we are talking to the Emily Carpenter. She is our hero, our goddess. Our everything. Our everything. We are so, so excited to talk with her, and we don't even want to fill up any more of the time between now and hearing her. So So. please enjoy our interview with Emily Carpenter. Yes. Thank you, Emily, for joining us. We're so excited to have you on finally. Yes. We've literally been talking about this all week. (laughs) Yes. This has been like, this has been a long time coming. A (laughs) hundred percent. So we are so excited for Until the Day I Die. Uh, we just did a like video review of it for YouTube, and it just got us like all excited all over again for this conversation. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see you guys like in real, in living color. I know, right? <laughs> it's like we're actual people. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so I, I listened to the podcast um think about the review that you did for burying the honeysuckle girls and I was like I had my headphones on and I was walking around and I was like talking back to you you were asking <laughs> you were like how old are you and I'm like I'm 51 <laughs> and then we discovered that later and we were like wait that cannot be right <laughs> yeah, and I was like they can't hear me <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that makes us feel so good. <laughs> like I feel like I've already been in conversation with you, only you can hear me. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, and then I'll make this like super easy and fun then. Yes. <laughs> so congratulations on Until the Day I Die. We are we can't be happier for you. Uh, and we know it's going to be a huge success. Yes, 100%. I hope so. Your lips to God's ears. <laughs> What research did you do for Until the Day I Die? I mean, did you travel to a remote island? Was it haunted? What did you do? Down. Um, No, I didn't do that. I will say, um, so I've been to a Caribbean island and um, I went many years ago on my honeymoon. I've had a few trips since then. Um, One of my favorite place to get, most favorite place to go is um, Turks and Caicos, which is. (gasps) Yes. Stunning. That's that's where me and my husband uh, honeymooned at Turks and Caicos. It's, it's, you know, my idea of paradise, but, um, so more of the research for this book was actually, um, concerned the tech and the app stuff, like, um, like what a startup company does and what the atmosphere there is like, and like what it is to build an app and the process you have to go through, um, so that because I am not um, I'm not a tech minded person at all, as you can tell. <laughs> I mean, we could um, not tell. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I that's the co- really cool thing about it is um, a woman that works with my husband, his business, her son is um, a game developer out in Silicon Valley. So, um, oh wow, yeah, he's like done really well for himself and um there's like a super famous app he created um well he he used to work for zynga but Mm, oh wow (laughs) oh i just bought socks in them (laughs) 
oh, did you? That's well, they, 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 yeah, they came free when I signed up for an app. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I forgot what I was saying, but it, I talked to him. <laughs> And I said, oh, yeah, I had created this, this, you know, imaginary app. And I sat down with him one Thanksgiving and I was like, please don't laugh at what I'm about to show you, but can you make it look um, believable? And like, it could be a real thing that could. So he, he did not laugh at me and he was amazing and really kind of helped um, dissect the way you put together an app. That's time. really cool. I mean, we could tell that like there was uh, a certain amount of research that went into it because it was so well done. And so I think that like speaks to the authenticity of the book a little bit more is that like you really didn't just decide, OK, I'm just going to have an app and that's what it's going to be. You did right. research. And that's amazing. It's fun. I like that part of it. And and for me, it's like you you walk kind of a tightrope of you don't want to go into too much detail because you know the readers aren't there to like get a lesson in app development they're there to have fun and have an so you want just enough detail to make it sound real and authentic and um so i probably learned way more than i really needed but <laughs> well for the next book <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it was awesome. Those people are smart. Yes, it's uh, it made me want like listening to Until the Day I Die made me want to uh, be in that field. But then I was like, I have no idea what I'm even doing. Like I could never do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we noticed that in all of your books, there's this like certain amount of isolation. Um do you have a fear or a fascination with being cut off from civilization? Like what makes you drawn to that kind of atmosphere? Well, you know, that's a good question. I, I'm, first of all, I'm like a lot of writers, I'm an introvert. So I, I do kind of lean towards craving my alone time. Mm-hmm. I don't like to be necessarily cut off. Like I like to know that I got my target around the corner, my star, <laughs> you know, but um, I think it's more about that. To me, it creates this really, this kind of atmosphere that we don't get to experience these days. Like we are so connected and, as, you know, especially with the phone and the computer and, and apps, you're, you're connected to the world and at all times and, you know, to levels that is, it's kind of shocking to, to yeah. know that you're tracked and, and the whole GPS thing. And, um, so I think for me as a suspense writer, it's really fun to get a character or a bunch of characters in this, um, remote setting where a lot of times their cell phones aren't working well, or, you know, they don't have the, the conveniences that they're used to, you know, there's no police department around the corner. And it just, to me, it makes for a better story and, and just, there's just more, um, opportunity, um, for them to get in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I also liked the little nod to social media, like mm -hmm. within the app in Until the Day I Die. That was really a, a cool little like bringing it into the modern times as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. And like crazy, like why, like I still, I don't know if it's, is it, it might be Venmo where mm-hmm. people, yeah. why they, like, I'm like, why do you want your transactions public? That is just nuts to me. Yes. But you know, exactly. I just send eggplants. Yeah. <laughs> that is wise I think (laughs) someone's like why did you just pay $75 for eggplants Brad (laughs) I don't know (laughs) it was was a good eggplant (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's very to me it's almost more creepy how connected we are than like when you get one of your characters isolated that to me is like I mean that's like mankind at its you know basic level so yeah yeah and and shori in the book was like really smart to be like um i don't know this person so i'm gonna ignore it for a little while (laughs) even though we were like answer the message right and like you know i have kids and i'm like from the beginning you know dealing with the internet telling them don't talk to anybody and don't you know don't and they're rolling their eyes at me but yeah yeah. (laughs) they'll learn they'll learn And so this next question kind of goes hand in hand with the whole idea of isolation. And there's another piece to your novels that I personally just really love to read about the whole mental health and addiction aspect to them. Um, And if it's not too personal, like how do you know how to write these issues so well? Well, Brad, (laughs) (laughs) there's much to go into Mm -hmm. and I'll try to speak carefully here, but, um, I do. I mean, I have my own, I have struggled with anxiety, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess probably all my life, but I started noticing it um, more as an adult. And um, so just trying to figure out like how to work around that. But then um, a, a bigger thing that happened in my life is I have a son who is 22 and he gives me permission to share this, but, um, he was diagnosed with OCD when he was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. and for anybody who knows OCD, it's not just like, Oh, I have to have things straight on my desk. It is, yes. really, mm-hmm. it's so I, I've always just kind of generally been interested in um, psychology and mental health. And um, in terms of addiction, I, without being too specific, because people need an, anonymity, but I do have friends and family that have struggled with that. So I've been, um, I've seen some things. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they say writers write what they know, and that's what makes yeah. them amazing writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I just think it's endlessly fascinating because to me, mental health, um, it's the treatment of it is really a new field, but it really is physical health. It's just like, you know, any other kind of illness or disease or condition. Um, it's just kind of more in our brains. And mm-hmm. I think because we don't understand it as much. And because, you know, there's been, we've, you know, put people away, we've hidden people away who were suffering um, with psychological issues. I think it's kind of made it a very taboo subject, but 
um, I love how people are talking about it more now. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm just interested in it. It's just one of the things I'm interested in. So. Well, yeah. it, definitely sh- it definitely shows with just how well you write just the different uh, disorders that you do talk about in your books. I think the first time I realized it was in, a, in every single secret, I was just like, oh, my God, I just I finally found a writer that knows this this stuff. Yeah. And, and has done yeah. this research. Yeah. And that was really fun too to research about um, antisocial um, personality disorders and sociopaths and, you know. Um, really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, I read about a doctor who was a, um, now I'm forgetting, not a a neurosurgeon maybe, but anyway, he was, it wouldn't be a surgeon, but he was studying the whole concept of being able to diagnose kids, you know, possible burgeoning sociopath. Mm -hmm. And, um, he did brain scans of his own brain and discovered that he was one. <laughs> oh my God. My goodness. And then he went to his family and he was like, you guys see this in me? And they were like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Wow. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it is really interesting to me that whole, we could talk forever about that. But yeah. yeah. And, and especially since like, I feel like sociopathy this year or like 2018 was like such a big topic. Like you had YouTubers doing documentaries on it and just people releasing different things about people who are sociopathic. Mm -hmm. It was like, that was the perfect time to listen to every single secret. (laughs) (laughs) I think what's interesting to me about it is that, and I talk about this in the book is it's not always, so it's not, it's not Ted Bundy all the time. You know, a lot of, just you know the guy you're playing golf with that cheats constantly and has no and doesn't care and he's just there to win man mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know he's just there for the reward and kind of that concept of um that it's frowned upon or that you're gonna bother your you know golf partner it's like doesn't really have any impact on that kind of person so That's- yeah it's so wild oh. <laughs> it's like high functioning sociopaths can be like yeah. we could be one. Oh my oh. god <gasps> oh no <laughs> now that we're thir- yeah we're thoroughly <laughs> freaked out now <laughs> yeah so we're huge book to movie adaptation fans um and we are curious which book of yours would you want to see adapted into a movie or tv show oh all of them <laughs> I was I was gonna that's say like, like which one first? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's maybe a better question. <laughs> I don't know. I I always thought that the weight of lies—that's the one where um, the woman she's the daughter of this very famous horror novelist, and she goes to this island off the coast of Georgia to kind of um, write this tell-all book about her mother kind of a mommy dearest, you know, book and, and, and to kind of explore the, the true life story that her mother used to base her iconic horror novel on. And I've always thought it was very, to me, I love, um, 
those barrier islands, sea islands off the coast of Georgia. They just have a really unique look to them and unique ecology. And they have like the wild horses running on the beach. And yeah, yeah, they have a really interesting history. And again, they are super isolated. Um, And uh, so I, to me, that one's very cinematic and it's got the whole like um, backstory of the actual horror novel that was like a very kind of campy early 70s, you know, book. And and that was fun to me too. And those, there's a lot of cinematic possibility to that one, I think. Yeah, just from the description, I'm like, I want to see that as a movie because that is the last one on our list to listen to. <laughs> We've kind of like yeah. been working... <laughs> Yeah, I just told you the whole story, so now you don't have to read it. <laughs> oh no, we we still do. We will. We will. <laughs> oh wow, that I, sounds beautiful. I'm excited. I hope. Yeah. I hope. I hope one of your books, yeah, you know, gets that movie, the book to movie adaptation that it they deserve. <laughs> yeah, because we can see them. We can see them all in our head, just taking place, like characters and people that we would cast in them. Oh like, yes, we are just complete, like visualizing all of your books into movies and TV shows. <laughs> well, that's how I write them because that's what I start. I start off in acting um, when I was in high school and college. Um, really wanted to be an actress, um, and I. I, I didn't quite have the confidence or um, the wherewithal to really pursue it the way it you have to because it's such a tough business. But I was always kind of peripherally involved in you know, television and acting and, and theater and stuff like that. So I think that when I write my books, I definitely... Like I read my characters out loud and I picture the scene in my head and the way it would look as if it was a movie. So that's, oh, that's great. Yeah. And um, so we have done some stalking. We'll tell you <laughs> that up front. <laughs> and so okay. we, found, we found that you worked in the soap opera industry. Yes. Guiding light. And as the world turns. <laughs> Uh-huh. CBS forever. Yes. <laughs> now, sadly, both of them long-running shows that are canceled now. Yeah. But yeah. I know. But since they're canceled, <laughs> is there any juicy gossip you can give us? <laughs> Speaking of the well, acting I, world. Yeah, yeah. So I I won't name any names, but so and speaking of addiction. This is really kind of sad, but there's a funny portion to it. But um, so I was just um, an assistant. And uh, at, at, so I worked at CBS, and then they they taped the shows um, cross town. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would get like, I would get all the calls and filter all the calls. And this was back in the day in the 90s. So you know, they were like, literally, people were picking up the phone and calling CBS New York to to you know, give us some input. There was no, like, uh, there weren't really like email site, you know, websites that nothing like that. So, um, so one day I pick up the phone and this woman is screaming at me because one of the characters from guiding light, 
the the writers had sent him away to rehab and he was like a very favorite character he'd been there forever and the writers had written him off the show to in the story that he was going to go to rehab and get you know whatever treatment for drinking and um she was just like how could y'all do that that is so terrible and that is just you know he's you know, blah, blah. I couldn't even remember like, you know, his marriage and his children and blah, blah. blah. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking to myself, the actor himself is actually in rehab right now. <gasps> yes. Oh. I guess gave the writers permission to actually, which is really quite brave. Yeah. Uh, when you think about it, because, you know, the, those shows and the actors were very closely connected with their fans. So um, I did think it was really brave, but I wasn't going to tell the lady that, you know, obviously, but yeah, she was infuriated that we would do such a humiliating thing to him. Oh my God. Hopefully now, like in the nineties, maybe it was a little bit taboo, but hopefully now like that woman has grown. (laughs) I think, I think things are so much different now. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, oh yeah, there were definitely actors like fooling around with each other. Like, oh, yes. You know. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> That's so day. scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> but they were also good looking. Oh know? yeah. Of course. I of mean, course. it's like they like had a factory of just like, okay, soap opera people. We're going to pump out these clones of really attractive people. <laughs> overwhelming i would go to the studio and be like everyone is so beautiful (laughs) (laughs) that's why i couldn't be an actor because i would fall in love with everyone yeah you would be a problem yes i would be a problem (laughs) the one i liked the best was on guiding light um alan michael spaulding it was um rick hurst i think he's still on general hospital i think not sure (gasps) he was so cute like when he (laughs) talks like Hello. Actually, my husband is named Rick, too. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a coincidence? (laughs) I could be goofy. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Um, Well, thank you for that little piece of gossip. (laughs) Through our further stalking of you, um, we came across an interview of yours where you spoke to the rhythm of dialogue. Um, what do you do to capture that in your writing? I just like what I told you before, mostly, I mean, I find dialogues really hard because mm-hmm. you're conveying character and exposition and you're trying not to, you know, bring your story to a standstill. So to get it, you want it snappy and, um, I I just tried to read the characters out loud and like play all the part in my head. Like it is, like it's a scene from yeah, a movie. Like it's a movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't, you know, I it does help to watch a lot of Netflix, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you watch a really good show with really snappy dialogue, it it can rub off on you, I think. And um so I always feel like I really do find that um, watching a good fast paced um, suspense thriller kind of reminds me of <clears throat> that I always have to be 
kind of trimming the padding some you know what I mean oh, keeping yeah, things yeah. yeah we just read that article that you um released yesterday oh the suspense oh, yeah 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 the suspense and so that that um it makes a lot of sense you mentioning that you cut out some padding too because yeah Oh yeah, because listen, I will go. I will go on for pages describing like the inside of the spooky house, and my editor <laughs> is like, um, "This is great writing, but it's really boring." So, <laughs> really boring. <laughs> so we gotta you know, move things along, and I just like that. To me, that kind of scene setting stuff is really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, it definitely sounds fun to mm-hmm. be writing and putting yourself into yeah and so another piece of your writing are the character is the character development and we were just talking about this in our booktube episode that you write such like phenomenal female characters and i mean we love them they're very strong-willed and and total badasses to be honest Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but are there are there any types of characters that you find yourself holding back from writing because you don't want to be kind of perceived a different way or kind of have a negative connotation to? Yeah. I mean, for here's the thing that I think a lot of um, writers of suspense and like darker kind of stories come up against. And that is this whole thing of, um, well, your character is not um, sympathetic or your character is not likable and um, or likable enough. And honestly, I've like, I've had those comments um, while I was in, you know, the writing and the editing um, process from my agent and editors, you know, there's, I I do tend to write kind of prickly characters. They're prickly women and they're not, they, they've been through a lot in their lives and a lot of them have backgrounds that are not really identifiable, you know, to the regular person reading the book. And so, you know, they've been through a lot. And so they have these kind of angles, you know, to them. And um, so I get that comment a lot that no, like, you want to make this character more likable. And, and, you know, part of me is always pushing back against that. Because to me, I don't care if a, a character is unlikable. I just really want them to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I want them to be, I want to understand why they are the way they are. So, um, so I do push back against that. Um, and you know, I've, I've made some concessions and, and I can see, I, I, I definitely can see, um, the benefit. Um, and you almost see the good come, um, sort of develop in your character when you do make them a little more, you give them something that is a little more of a likable quality. Um, but I guess I just tend to be really attracted to difficult people and I, and I feel very sympathetic towards them. Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question, I mean, one day I would like to write a book with a main character who's not, not, evil or a villain or anything but but like very unlikable <laughs> on the outside like you you think when you met her there's absolutely no reason like 
why do I want to hang out with her? And she's just a mess or she's, you know, but then you would discover sort of um, what makes her the way she is and interesting, but it's a tough sell, you know, it's, it is. And, and a lot of people just don't go for that. So I think we feel uh, like with Gigi in Until the Day I Die, like if she were the main character, we would just be like, oh, my God, can't wait for her to die on this remote island. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone just, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, I don't know. I like to write bad people, man. They're awesome. We like we, we like seeing them like on the outside a lot too because I know in Barry and the Honeysuckle Girls it was Molly Rob for us that oh, was yes. like oh I hate Molly Rob but we were like we like we we hate her so much that we actually like love her character like she does her job as a character of like you yeah. just wrote her so fantastically of like us hating her and she did that the first scene she was in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And I'm so I'm writing a follow-up book to Honey's Huckle Girls and yes. she's in it. <laughs> oh my um, god. That's so exciting. I don't know, I'm like trying to figure out if it's gonna be more or less, but I just wrote a chapter and she's in it. And I was like, oh hey, Molly Rob. <laughs> <laughs> You're like long time no see. <laughs> right. You just love to hate her because she's yes. just so She's just she's so, so grasping and like such a social climber and her she's so transparent, you know. She's yeah. just But yes. the, she's such like an awesome character too. So it's it's gonna be fun to see her in the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus she wears those headbands. She wears um, a lot of head. Oh those God. headbands. Those headbands, yeah. Ugh. So uh, when you were talking about tough cells, uh, we also read that you had a, a story, a crazy ghost story with romance and time travel that you wanted to write. Are there any plans to maybe put that tough character, main character cell within that story? And then it would just be like double the hard cell. <laughs> Nobody would buy it. <laughs> oh, we would buy it. We would so buy it. <laughs> I- well, yeah, so you say the word ghost story, and I don't know, things are changing now. I feel like the market's opening up a little bit. But yeah, a year ago, I would say the word ghost story, and like, you know, every, like my agent would be like, mm, just shake her head. Like, I just think for anybody other than Stephen King, it's for, I don't know why, but it's a tough sell. But oh, um, yeah. I love to do that. And I like when I get little bits of time, I sneak off and I'll write a chapter here and there. Oh, that's, that's amazing. That's really cool. <laughs> I, I feel like whenever I hear like Southern Gothic, like a ghost story is just like what stands yeah. out in my mind. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think, I, you know what? It's funny. I think a lot of people have a certain understanding of what Southern Gothic is. And I, a lot of times I think they just think it's a book set in the South. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like kind of, con, you know, realizing. So when I, like you said, when I say, oh, a ghost story. And I mean, that is like one of the main tenants of Southern Gothic. There's always like a hint of a ghost or, you know, it doesn't have to be an actual ghost, but mm-hmm. there's always hints of that. So I feel like it's, I've kind of started this new thing. Like I got to educate people what Southern Gothic is yes. because not just a story set in Georgia or Alabama or whatever. It's, it's got some 
some characteristics to it. Yeah, and ghosts are one of them, man. Bring on yeah. the ghosts. Yes, yeah, definitely. The, haunt, the hauntness of it. <laughs> yes, yes. So speaking of Southern Gothic, uh, that, that whole genre, we also read that you <laughs> plagiarized the pokey little puppy at age five, which is, you know, tisk tisk for you plagiarizing. <laughs> um, for that. I just want <laughs> Whoever wrote the pokey little puppy, I'm very sorry. <laughs> but one, I wonder if you could turn that into a Southern Gothic thriller and like, what would that look like? <laughs> That's a good question because A, I don't really remember what happened in that book. <laughs> so, yeah, it just seems like a dog on a cover to me. <laughs> I, I don't, it, I'm sure it was about a slow dog. But I, but I will say there's like a very Southern Gothic dog in To Kill a Mockingbird. And we're not going to say what happened to him because mm -hmm. it's very sad. Yeah, it's very sad. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much what happens to the pokey little puppy, I guess. Okay. All right. <laughs> poor, poor pokey. Poor pokey. <laughs> Listen, if you're a dog, do not get stuck in a Southern Gothic book. It is not going to go well for you. No. So. Yeah, which I really appreciate that you don't include many animals in your books at all. And if they <laughs> if they are included, then there's a reason and they're eating somebody. <laughs> well, I will say you might you might change your tune in the weight of lies. There's some animals in there. Oh, oh no. no. It's okay. It's I can okay. look past it. <laughs> Just brace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, also through our stalking, just to like wrap up our stalking a little bit, yeah. you can see how creepy we are. Yeah, please, no restraining orders. You, yeah, you can write a Southern Gothic thriller about us. <laughs> we also read that you wrote a book about you getting a horse. And we are, I have always wanted a horse. And so I was particularly drawn to, did you ever get that horse? <laughs> not get the horse i do not have a horse i've never had a horse and i'm i sound a little bitter about it yeah <laughs> no i did i was like a horse girl you know it was like well everybody else was kind of like liking boys and what i was like horses and I took horseback riding lessons and um even in college I wound up I was working at a camp in Mississippi and I was working in the barn and you know do it taking trail rides and stuff so I've always loved them but no I never did end up with a horse of my own so do you continue to ride now I don't um I, what I did realize about horses um, was that they cost a tremendous amount of money mm -hmm. and um, require a ton of care and that I, that was probably not my path in life so <laughs> it's just way more like fun just to like take some take some trips elsewhere and ride the horses and then just leave them there yeah. <laughs> take care of them and um yeah yeah, yeah exactly so since you're you're a writer, how do you fit time into reading other people's works? Um, so I I am really bad about this. And I'm like, every day I think I got to figure this out because 
So I didn't. So my first book came out in just uh, three years ago, 2016. And so it's kind of like in this period of my life, I've, I've kind of embarked on this different career and I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. And so reading for pleasure is one of those things that I haven't quite figured out. And I'm, I'm kind of a slow reader. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I don't zip through books really quickly. And, and also my head is so full of my own stories. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. Like I started listening to this amazing audiobook that's set in Ireland and it's, oh my gosh, it's really good. But, um, I just found my mind wandering because I'm in the middle of drafting a new book and I just realized I just can't, I, I don't have enough bandwidth, I guess, to focus on this. But, um, and I read a lot of books for other authors to blurb them. Um, so that takes up a lot of time, but gosh, I just, um, really, I mean, speaking of Turks and Caicos, I'd love to go (laughs) an island somewhere and just with a stack of books and just, you know, lie there for day for days and read and read and read. Cause I miss those days. Um, and like anytime somebody posts up, Oh, you've got a binge watch this series on Netflix. I'm like, oh, I can't because I'll get sucked. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's strange. The, um, like all my mental space is taken up with my, these imaginary characters in my own head. So I wish all that to say, I wish I could read more than I do. Um, so. Wow. Yeah. And I think we're still shocked that you started in 2016 because we honestly feel like you've just you have such like a powerful like voice with your characters and so it feels like they've been around forever thank you I I didn't really start in 2016 I actually wrote two books before that um and they were both like kind of romantic comedies um so I was very two like two years before that I was very into um dancing Argentine tango and um mm-hmm. so I wrote a book about um a young woman who uses tango to kind of judge the potential boyfriends in her life. Oh. Um so and I really I loved the book and you know sent it out and I got a lot of rejections for it and and had some close calls to almost getting an agent and but in the end um I put it away and went on to write other things. But so I think I was developing. And before that, I wrote some screenplays that were not produced, but like I entered them in contests. And so I think I was developing my writing muscle for years before I actually came out with the book that first got published. Now, this is just a question because I'm curious. Do you have to get a new agent every time you write a different no. type of book? No. And um, so you mean like a different genre of book or just a different yeah, book? A, a different genre. Well, so that's, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so what I've discovered is that um, there is a real pressure that if, 
okay, so my first book is like this kind of blend of women's fiction and suspense. Um, and then kind of the next books after that seemed a little more like straight up suspense books. And w- when you talk about um, marketing from a marketing perspective. And so there's a lot of talk on the business side of publishing about like, where does your book fall in terms of category? And there is a lot of pressure, I guess, from business end of things to like keep things the same and to give your readers what they want. Now, I don't know if I came to my agent and said, so I've written this totally different genre of book. Um, My guess is that she would, you know, want to represent it and want to try to get it sold, even if she wasn't super familiar with the... um, the genre, but I, I would never go to like, I'm not going to write science fiction or fantasy or anything. Anything I do is going to be somewhat, um, connected to what I already do, you know? Yeah. It's, it's so, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm kind of figuring out this business too, as I go. So that, I mean, I think most people keep the same agent. They might like publish under a pseudonym, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as not to confuse their audience. But I feel like readers are really smart and they're like, you know, they can deal with, um, if, you know, I wanted to write a YA book or a horror book or, you know, a ghost story. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. absolutely. We would be there for that ghost story. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that little tidbit of information. Yeah. That was really insightful to like the business and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The business is, a lot wholly different from the creative side. And I think trying to combine those two is it's part of the fun of doing this, of being an author is trying to figure out like, I like my art and I want to write what I want to write, but also I want to sell books and I want to make people happy Mm -hmm. and entertain them. So that's, there's a little tension there, but it's fun. Nice. So, so what is next for you? I know that you just, kind of briefly mentioned the follow-up to Bearing the Honeysuckle Girls. But is there anything else coming out? Um, well, no, that's it right now. And I'm working on it. It's called Reviving the Hawthorne Sisters. Ooh. Yes. That sounds so good. I'm alert. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it, it follows um, Dove. It kind <gasps> yes. of... Oh my God. Sorry. (laughs) It follows Dove's story. It it has that um, dual narrative structure like Honeysuckle Girls had where you are seeing the story in the thirties and the present day story um, as you know, the main characters uncovering the mystery. So the mystery is about Dove and her life and what she did or did not do in her past. And um, so I'm working on that and um, I'm thinking about uh, other books, but I, I don't have anything that's like under contract. So I'm just kind of circling around other ideas and that's it. Oh my gosh. We're so excited for reviving. You said it's reviving the Hawthorne girls. It's reviving the Hawthorne sisters. sisters. Oh my gosh. Because we were going over, we heard about the, the potential sequel. 
uh, follow-up novel and um we were just wondering like what it was going to be about and we were we were taking our own guesses and like one of them was like what if we get to see dub's story <laughs> that's <laughs> so- all pretty everyone is <laughs> remember you saying that and that was probably when I was like yes it's <laughs> and y'all oh didn't yes that makes me so so excited oh my gosh I can't wait <laughs> so when are we going to get together and go to Hidden Sands together oh gosh. are you ready I mean are you ready for Hidden Sands yeah and- we're packed already we have a we have a machete <laughs> <laughs> we're packing it all says the word yeah you gotta watch your step there though you gotta yeah (laughs) i'm there i'm ready to go i will fight the whole i will fight the whole crew at hidden sands just to get like a spot on the beach and my chaise and my stack of books Mm -hmm. girl i just want a mai tai that's all i want (laughs) that's all that's all he wants mai tai and watch people die that is that's good times okay (laughs) well thank you so 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 much for taking time out of your uh, schedule with uh, until the day i die with going on tour or anything like whatever you have planned thank you so much for fitting us into your schedule um this has been amazing it was my pleasure thank you and we're so excited to keep talking to you over twitter for everyone to know her your handle is at emily d carpenter correct and make sure you follow her yes (laughs) so thank you so much emily and we will chat with you more soon sounds good thank y'all thank you how fantastic was that oh my god i can't breathe i'm like about to cry i can't breathe oh my god she's amazing she has like so much insight to everything and oh my gosh, it was just such a joy to talk with her. She answered all of our hard hitting questions. Yes. Including the pokey little puppy. What happened to the pokey little puppy? Oh my gosh. She's amazing. She's amazing. And we thank her so much. And just so you guys know, we had a little bit of conversation after the recording and she's just as fab off the mic. Oh yeah. She's like completely amazing. We're obsessed. Yeah. So please, if you haven't already, pre-order Until the Day I Die. It comes out on March 12th, 2019. So you can put it down now and get it when it comes out. Yes. And you'll, you know, sop it up. It's like a biscuit. It is like a biscuit and gravy. Yes. Yeah. Just sop it up. Mm-hmm. It's real good. Mm-hmm. And please be sure that you follow along with us. Our uh, social medias are always buzzing and you can always find us on there. Our Twitter is at Audio Shelf Me. Our Instagram is at Audio Shelf underscore podcast. And our Facebook is at Audio Shelf. And please subscribe to our booktube where we are putting out our review of Until the Day I Die on Wednesday. So you can go there and watch us fangirl over there. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. And if you would like two free books, and please pick up two Emily Carpenter books. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's free. Please go to our website at audioshelf.me and click on the Audible affiliate link to download a 30-day free trial. Until next time. Bye. bye. This has been Audio Shelf, where we release new podcast episodes every Monday and Thursday and YouTube reviews every Wednesday. If you want to stay updated, listen to previous episodes, or suggest audiobooks for us to feature, visit us at audioshelf.me. We are Brad and Brittany. Thank you for listening.